three, two, one. Welcome to Sober in the States Basketball. Now, here are your hosts, Jorge and Alec. Episode three, we are here. We are one week away from the NBA season kicking off. We are incredibly excited. So rare NBA is on the way next week. Alec, how are you doing? I am doing good, man. I'm telling you what, I cannot wait for next week. Can't come soon enough. We got the big announcement about the uh, launch video coming up and all that. So, you know, we'll, we'll get to that next week. But, I mean, man, one week away from the season, I can't wait. Yeah, like, I, I knew I was already excited, excited. But, I, like, now that the announcement is next week, we're having the community event. So, things are really going to get rolling. And, like, dude, I am just I anxious with anticipation. But with the season around the corner, we haven't really gotten to talk much basketball because we've been kind of introducing so rare. Alec, you have brought a friend. Who did you bring? Who did you invite? What's going so on? So I have brought a friend. This is actually a fun story. So today's guest is going to be Brett Siegel. Brett is currently a NBA insider and reporter for Fast Break on Fan Nation. Uh, so Brett and I actually live directly across the hall from each other freshman year of college. So kind of a, a fun story of how we met there. And, um, you know, he's a Warriors fan. I was a Warriors fan at the time. So really kind of connected on that. And it's just, it's, you know, popped off ever since. And, um, you know, now with Brett kind of being a, you know, a reporter with the NBA figure, now's a perfect time to have him on right before the season starts, get some, uh, some season previews, kind of favorites for, you know, MVP picks, rookie of the year. Um, just a quick little rundown because we haven't really covered the full on basketball part yet. So um, without any further ado, Brett Siegel, how are we doing? Oh, we're doing good. I appreciate you guys having me on and season's right around the corner, like you said. So it's a it's a very busy time and a much different field than the off season that we just experienced. Yeah, for sure. And I know with the season right around the corner, I know you're you're very busy. So definitely do appreciate you taking some time out of your day. And, um, you know, with with all the breaking news going on and all that and um, fun little story last week, right when we stopped recording was when Draymond hit pool, or at least that was when that released. So um, we went, we missed that by about three minutes. So we're kind of hoping with you on today, we'll get something live and on air ready to roll. But um, without any further ado, we'll kind of jump right into it here. So, um, Brett, if you kind of want to give a quick little um, recap of the offseason, obviously with the Warriors winning the championship last year, the parade and all that, um, kind of some departures on their side, and now with the drama with um, Draymond and Jordan Poole, if you can kind of give a quick little recap of you know some of those bigger stories that happened this offseason. Well, we can start fresh with the Golden State Warriors and what occurred at practice with Jordan Poole and Draymond Green. And it was not a uh, a good situation whatsoever that the Warriors want to deal with right ahead of the start of the new season. But then again, stuff like this happens in the league all the time. And we just either a don't hear about it or b we don't see the video. Unfortunately for the Warriors, we saw both those things. And with the video coming out, it really escalated the situation much more because it got into the public eye. And then that's when all the all the opinions start forming about who's in the right, who's in the wrong. And you have Team Pool and Team Draymond starting to form kind of like a, what you saw with the Avengers with Team Captain America and Team Iron Man. <laughs> so uh, it, it's a it's a touchy subject for some people. But then again. When you look at it from the Warriors' point of view, there's really nothing going on here. They're, they're going to put it in the past. They're going to move on. This is a veteran team. They've been together for all these years, and they're going to find a way to, to just bury it and move on and be the championship-like team that they can be. Now, moving forward, though, this kind of opens up the door for those discussions of is Draymond Green going to be expendable to this team two, three years down the road because we know the massive tax bill that they paid last year. Now heading into this year, it's good. 
it's only going to grow. And if you extend Jordan Poole's contract, since he's up for a contract extension, as well as Andrew Wiggins being up for a contract extension, you're now looking upwards of $300, $400 million just in taxes alone to field this team. And that is if you extend Draymond Green as well. So everybody wants to get paid. Everybody can't get paid. That's just the name of the game. And this may be a reason that the Warriors go back and look at of a reason that they could get rid of Draymond Green in the future. Yeah, definitely something to keep track of. And, you know, I remember back when KD was still on the Warriors, there was, you know, I don't want to say a full on beef, but there were definitely some rumblings of kind of disagreements and arguments going on between those two. So not that Jordan Poole is on Kevin Durant's level just yet, but, you know, definitely kind of, you know, brings back to that time. And um, with Green kind of being the the main instigator of all that now, what was said, who knows, with, you know, with all that, as you said, it is an unfortunate situation. Um, not only that it happened, but that it, it was released to the public and especially with the video, which, I got to say, what a right hook from Green there. I mean, he he got full extension Eesh. on it. But um, so, you know, as a, as a fan, it was interesting to see the video. But, you know, from the other side of it, definitely an unfortunate situation as well. Um, I know, Jorge, we were kind of talking about it. And I mean, right when that happened, I couldn't believe it. We had no clue what was going on. And I'm just kind of trying to piece it all together. Well, um, but kind of the, the, the funniest part, though, is that we had literally joked, right? Because we were joking how like, you can't really rely on Draymond because he likes getting thrown out and stuff. So, like, do you really want to go for a player like that, especially when you're doing something like playing fantasy sports? And literally, as soon as we had hopped off the call, boom, we literally got the notification. It was like the funniest thing. But like, even going on that, I want kind of want to pick your brain. If Draymond and Poole really come back and they play out this season, can they actually like play on the court and produce quality basketball because realistically at the end of the day for pool regardless of what happened that video leaking has to be incredibly embarrassing like do they can they actually bounce back from that and have chemistry on the court yeah uh, we saw it back in 95 with michael jordan and steve kerr you had michael jordan push and punch steve kerr in practice and if you go to a couple months later they are lifting the larry o'brien trophy into the air so uh, it, it is something that i think it'll be tough for them to forget. Can they move on? Absolutely. I mean, you get into a fight with a friend at school or something and you guys make up the next day, but this is a little different when it comes to guys wanting to get paid. And it's a little different when it comes to their livelihood and their money. So whether or not this actually had something to do with Jordan Poole's contract extension, his pending contract extension and Draymond Green wanting money, who knows? I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think this is just an instance of a very competitive team that has high aspirations for themselves getting very heated at practice. And like I mentioned before, this happens amongst a league probably two, three, four times a year in other practices, maybe not to the extent that it was where Draymond punches another guy, but you have guys pushing and shoving and getting each other's faces at practice because there's only one champion at the end of the day and you have 15 guys on every team, 30 teams. You guys can do the math. That's how many people want to win a championship in this league. And so that's just kind of where everything boils over for me, at least. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, obviously winning does kind of cure all. So, you know, who's to say this is something that carried over from, from last year or anything like that, but I'm always kind of great to see, you know, really, the, the better side of the competitive competitiveness and, you know, a lot of these guys come out, um, but kind of sticking with the, you know, championship aspirations talk. Um, if you can kind of, you know, give your picks either for who you think is going to lift the Larry O'Brien trophy or who you kind of could see coming out of the East and West um, kind of your, you know, main focus, you know, championship contenders for this season. Yeah. So it's pretty wide open this year. I think that it, we're going to have a very, very competitive NBA season. And when you look at each conference, obviously you're going to have your teams at the bottom, but 
some of the teams at the bottom are going to be much improved this year. And starting in the East, you look at the Orlando Magic. They're a pretty young hey, team, but they're going to be a lot better than they were last year. The Detroit Pistons, I think the same way. You're, you're going to see improvements simply because these are young athletic teams that have these new era type of players. So for the Pistons, you've got a player like Cade Cunningham who can really play anywhere on the floor. You have the Orlando Magic bringing in Paolo Bancaro with a player that has a very similar mold. The Houston Rockets just drafted Jabari Smith Jr., a player that has drawn some comparisons to Kevin Durant, not, not even close to being the same kind of talent as Kevin Durant yet, but he has the same physique and same size that Durant had when he came out of Texas. So we're seeing a lot more of these new age players with length and athleticism start to come into the league and starting to reshape every position on the floor. And that's why I think you're going to see a lot more competitiveness, not to mention the Eastern Conference is just loaded with talent. You you got at least one or two all-star players on every single team there, and there's only eight spots up for grabs for the playoffs. Then I'm looking at the standings right now of the teams that are in the East, and there's 13 of them that you could make a really good case for that they could earn one of those eight spots this year. So it's definitely going to going to be competitive in the East. I'm looking at two teams in particular at the top right now, and that's the Philadelphia 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets. I think that the Sixers are really going to put things together this year. Not only is MB fully healthy entering the season, but you had a full off season of getting James Harden integrated into the system. He's back in shape, looking like himself. Tyrese Maxey is going to have another big year for them. They still have shooters on the outside with uh, Furkan Korkmaz. They still have Tobias Harris. They had a P- PJ Tucker. And I think the biggest underrated addition for them is DeAnthony Melton coming over from the Memphis Grizzlies. That's a big loss for the Grizzlies, and that's definitely going to affect them. It's only going to help the 76ers with their depth in the backcourt. He's a guy that can play the one or two. He can play with or without the ball in his hands, and he's going to be a really good complementary bench player for them. So I definitely like the Sixers. Looking at the Brooklyn Nets, they definitely have a lot to figure out mentally, and especially in that locker room of whether or not Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and everybody's on the same page with Sean Marks, the general manager, and head coach Steve Nash. But they say that they're ready to go. They have a championship team on paper and we've been preaching this for the last two years that the Brooklyn Nets are a championship contender I still believe that and if they're fully healthy I think that they're a team that nobody's going to want to play at the end of the year does Ben Simmons play a role in that if Ben Simmons if if he if he doesn't produce if he doesn't really put up the numbers that people want him to can the Nets really still get there I don't think Ben Simmons cares about if people think he's putting up the numbers that he should be because he knows his role with the Nets he's comfortable with Kevin Durant Kyrie Irving And everything that I've heard, he's looked fantastic in training camp and throughout their preseason practices and even in their preseason games. He's shown flashes of what he can be in this league. He's another guy that can take pressure off Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving with the ball in his hands. In my opinion, I think he's a a top 10, quite possibly a top five defender in this league because he can defend anywhere on the floor and he can defend any position on the floor. I think the only flaws really for the Brooklyn Nets looking at this season is the center position and they may not be done making upgrades there. Maybe they add a veteran like Dwight Howard or Hassan Whiteside at some point, but you, you got Nick Claxton there and Dayron Sharp. I think that they're still missing something there, but you you got Durant and Simmons on the floor. I think both of them are really good rebounders as well. You added Markeith Morris, so they should be fine on the interior. It's just as long as those outside shooters are healthy, like Seth, Seth Curry, Joe Harris, Patty Mills. Uh, this team is just complete, in my opinion. They they have everything that they need to compete for a championship, and I really don't care about all that outside noise coming from the fans. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the the coolest things about this offseason with the whole Eastern Conference is it feels like almost every team that was in the playoffs or just missed out on the playoffs has improved this offseason. 
which I feel like is very, you know, fairly rare. A lot of times it feels like you have those one or two seeds that, you know, maybe they just kind of bring everyone back. That's their way of improving, but it feels like every team has made, you know, it doesn't have to be the flashiest signing, even like the Sixers bringing in PJ Tucker, a veteran who's been in the league. He's not afraid to, you know, bang down low. Um, it feels like every team has really kind of improved. And I feel like, you know, the Eastern conference as a whole is, is just going to be wide open. And, you know, when it comes playoff time, you know, team seedings, isn't really going to make a difference. We could see a, a four or a five seed come out of the East and no one really bad an eye for, for those people that don't really like watch, watch basketball a lot. And you kind of alluded it to earlier. You said like almost like the, the dynamic of the league is changing with a lot of these newer players coming in. Like what, what is that? What is the dynamic you refer to? And like, what is it that really makes a team in the NBA a championship team? Like what is it? What are all the pieces that they really need to be a dominant team in the league? Well, to answer your first question, I think it, it kind of refers to the fact that in, and when you look at old school NBA, you think of the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. And those were generally dominated in the low post by centers and power forwards. And you, you had the big guys like Patrick Ewing. You had um, Shaquille O'Neal in the late 90s, early 2000s. You had Tim Duncan in the early 2000s. And, and the list goes on and on. You can even go back to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and, and Hakeem. But those guys really dominated the paint and dominated the low post. And as the game has changed over the last decade, you've seen players range expand and you got the Damian Lewis, the James Harden's, the Steph Curry's now, and everybody is shooting threes. And that even goes back to the centers. I mean, I've seen Andre Drummond, who's a center for the Cleveland Cavaliers now, who's never even thought about shooting from the perimeter. He's taking threes in practice and he took one in a preseason game the other day. So we're, we're seeing the game evolve. And with these new guys coming in and all the training equipment that they have from such a young age and these AAU circuits going into high school, there's so much more opportunity for them to become better athletes and become better overall basketball players as a result and be these positionless type players I alluded to. So I think that's really why the game is changing and why we're seeing somebody like Victor Wembanyama in next year's draft, who everybody's drooling over right now in the league. So he's one of those new age type players that you can put him at point guard if you want, and you can have a seven foot five center run point guard because he can, and he, he's got the skill to be able to. So that that's kind of where the aspect of the league changing is. Yeah. So kind of with the, you know, the league moving a little more positionless, obviously you'll still have your, your guards, forwards and centers, but kind of with, you know, everyone moving a little away from, you know, your strict positions, it's gonna be real interesting to see kind of what we do on so rare with, with lineups and whether they do make you put in a center um, as we'd kind of talked about on one of the previous episodes, or if it really is just kind of be a straight guard, two guards, two forwards and a flex spot for that. Um, and I remember a couple of years ago with the uh, all NBA first team, there was kind of some drama um, with Embiid and Jokic on who was going to get that center spot because one, you know, you couldn't put both of them in at center. You couldn't put both at forward. So um, with kind of everything moving towards, you know, positionless basketball in a way, it's, it's really going to be interesting to see, you know, both from a fan perspective, but also with so rare and kind of what they do on um, positions and kind of lineup requirements for that as well. Um, but I'm glad you brought up Wemban Yama though. I feel like there's really going to be, you know, in this way, two champions this year, there's going to be whoever actually wins the championship and, you know, kind of the consolation prize is going to be whoever wins the lottery this year and, you know, could potentially get a, uh, a franchise changing pick, you know, kind of like how Zion was a couple of years ago 
Um, obviously without the injuries, it hasn't, you know, quite as worked out as well for new Orleans, but you know, that was kind of a, a guy that, you know, when they won the lottery that year, I just remember seeing the parties down in new Orleans out on bourbon street and the front office going nuts. And, um, it's, it's really going to be interesting to see kind of how that all plays out. And, um, even, you know, kind of what, what teams that are kind of out of playoff contention early in the season, it, do they start resting guys on back to back? Oh, there's, there's um, already teams that want Wembenyana. There's already Charlotte. teams that, are, <laughs> yeah. that have it circled on their whiteboard, the 2023 NBA draft and that they will be tanking this season for him. Yeah. So, so is Mellow Ball going down? Is Charlotte like no, uh, number one on that list? Uh, I mean, possibly. Charlotte, they they had a lot of stuff go down in the offseason, and they have a completely new roster without Miles Bridges being on their on the team and with Mellow Ball being out now. That they're definitely going to be a, t- a young team that struggles early on in the year. So kind of sticking with the Hornets there, who are some guys that you're looking to kind of step up, um, you know, in LaMelo's absence and then absence. And even once he comes back and kind of um, helping to kind of take the reins of that team as well to push them to the next level. PJ Washington is a former first round pick. That's going to have to step up for them. He's going to have to step up in place of miles bridges, which is a very tough ask. And you're also going to need Gordon Hayward to stay healthy because they paid him a lot of money to come to Charlotte and he's had trouble remaining on the court only played him 48 games last year. So, I mean, those two guys, it, to me, it doesn't make a difference. Like, they, they could play well, and the Hornets could still struggle this season simply because how good the Eastern Conference is. I don't think that the Hornets have anyone other than LaMelo Ball that is a complete game-changer for them. Miles Bridges was kind of that kind of player because of his scoring abilities and athletic abilities in transition. But now it's just LaMelo Ball. And f- to me, the clock is ticking for the Charlotte Hornets to make a move because... LaMelo Ball, he's going to be out for a contract extension soon, a rookie contract extension. And it's not a matter of if he'll sign it. It's a matter of if he's going to stay with them long term because he could easily sign the contract and then demand a team, demand a trade the following season. And I, I wouldn't put it past him. And if Charlotte continues to struggle and they don't add another star to this team, I think it's a, a viable scenario to think about because how often do you see these guys just stick around on their team when they're constantly losing? Yeah, you know, there's maybe two or three in the league that you can name that have remained loyal through thick and thin with their team. But it's kind of rare. We see guys jump ship all the time, especially when we didn't expect it. I mean, we didn't really expect to see Kawhi Leonard leave the San Antonio Spurs and go to the Toronto Raptors ahead of that 2018-19 season. Granted, other stuff happened, but he still asked out. He got traded and then he won a championship with the Raptors. So it's a touchy situation. And I don't think it's something that we need to talk about right now in terms of LaMelo Ball leaving the Charlotte Hornets. But it's definitely something that when you look at this team from a big picture standpoint and look two, three, four years down the road, that's the main topic of discussion. And it's really going to take a lot for them both this year and moving forward to add the talent that they need around them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, kind of with, you know, you had mentioned, you know, kind of, I guess, quote unquote, forcing your way out. Um, you know, kind of with the whole Kevin Durant news this past offseason, it's it's kind of another recent example of a star that comes to, you know, what many think is kind of the perfect fit for them. And, um, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out. And, you know, granted, nothing really ever came to fruition with that. But is that something you think that trade talks will still be ongoing, you know, throughout the season as well, if something does come up? I know the market, you know, essentially kind of came to a standstill for that. But is that something um, that you think could eventually pick up um, either later in the year or kind of as we get closer to the trade deadline as well? You're talking about in regards to Kevin Durant? In regards to Kevin Durant, yes. Ke- Kevin Durant staying with the Brooklyn Nets. He He's going to be with the Brooklyn Nets this year. Next offseason, maybe there's more stuff going down, but I would not expect him at this time to be moved until the end of his contract. So kind of moving on to the um, Western Conference now, I know we really kind of hammered home on the East and kind of all of the um, you know playoff teams, a lot of improvements out there. 
Um, who are some of the teams kind of out West that you think are really flying under the radar um, that either just missed the playoffs last year or kind of had a first round exit um, that you think are looking to kind of make that next step into, you know, kind of being in playoff contention um, kind of from the start of the season here. Yeah. Two teams that aren't getting enough attention. That's the Denver Nuggets and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Timberwolves have been in the news quite a bit this off season and they have been, and I'll, I'll give the media credit because they, they've been giving the Timberwolves some good attention this off season, but in my opinion, it's not enough. I think this is a team that could very much contend for a 50 win season. And I think that that, that big lineup of Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns is going to be fantastic, especially when you have a terrific young scorer like Anthony Edwards, a guy that could potentially lead the league in scoring one day and a guy that could potentially be a first time all-star this season. So the Timberwolves are definitely a team that I don't think nobody's going to want to play near the end of the season, heading into the playoffs. Another team out West that is a sleeper championship contender is the Denver Nuggets. I think that Nikola Jokic, he's proven what he can do in this league back-to-back MVP And now he's getting his toys back. He's getting Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. around him, two very viable options from the perimeter. And we saw what Jamal Murray was capable of doing back in that 2020 NBA bubble. It was him and Donovan Mitchell sparring out there on the court, dropping 50 points every single game, it seemed like. So you add two explosive scores like that, you bring in a very solid veteran like Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who has deep playoff experience. I really like what the Denver Nuggets have done. They seem very confident in the moves that they've made based on people that I've talked to in the organization and they're very excited for the season as well see alec i told you i wasn't that far off we actually asked predictions everyone went golden state and bucks and no nope, <laughs> i said denver and sixers and brett just made me sound so smart on this show right now so brett you were like my best pal right now because i <laughs> you just you just hyped me up you didn't even know it but even kind of going back to the timberwolves real quick rudy gobert obviously that trade was the whole thing that whole situation was a thing but he might be a so rare ambassador maybe like, is there is there talk about so rare around the NBA? Has it made it, you know, onto your desk? Have you heard anything about so rare around the league? Is there like mention or is it something that we're just like, hey, I hope this really is something that pops off? Well, fantasy and betting is definitely a big part of the NBA nowadays, and it's a big part of every professional sport. So that you're always going to have people outside of the league involved with it and people always trying to... Uh, to get the best lineups because everybody loves to make money. And that's just kind of the name of sports right now is betting is such a big market in the NBA and the NBA has done a lot to try to expand themselves in that market as well. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were a lot of players, not, not that they're involved in sports betting in any way, but that they know about it and they're uh, they're partnering for advertising and whatnot. Is there some sort of like, clause or in there is there like something that like the nba only allows them to do certain things or like nba players kind of have the freedom to do whatever they want outside of the court i actually do not know the answer to that i have never seen an actual player contract and all of them are quite different from each other so uh, i think that it may be a team by team thing it could be a state by state thing depending on if sports betting is legal there and whatnot but i i really uh can't talk to that too much uh with my knowledge so kind of sticking with that a bit here, um, Brett, if you kind of want to give us some of your you know, favorites on um, MVP voting, I know recently you put out the um, quick little media poll um, for both you know, rookie of the year, most improved and MVP. Um, and Anthony Edwards actually got a couple of votes. So kind of sticking with the, uh, the Timberwolves here, um, if you can kind of go about you know, who some of your um, you know, MVP picks are for this season. Yeah, I think coming into the year, you have to give consideration to Nikola Jokic again, simply because the Nuggets are going to be a better team than they were last year. And He's proven to be the best player in basketball the last two years, winning MVP in back-to-back seasons. And surprisingly enough, he did not receive a media, not one media vote 
in my preseason awards media poll. And the person who did receive the most was Joel Embiid, who finished second in back-to-back years. Embiid received seven total votes, the most out of any player in my preseason media poll. And I kind of like it. I think that Joel Embiid is going to be much improved this year with the 76ers because he has a healthy and more in fit James Harden. He has Tyrese Maxey stepping up into a bigger role. He's got P.J. Tucker around him and the pieces that we mentioned earlier. So I think Embiid's going to have another terrific season if he stays healthy. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be MVP, especially since the 76ers have a chance to contend for the one seed. But you look at some other dark horses around the league who could potentially contend for MVP. Uh, He's not much of a dark horse. He's arguably a top three player in the league, but Luka Doncic with the Dallas Mavericks is a do-it-all guy, much like Nikola Jokic, and he's going to put up numbers just like Jokic did last year, so Doncic will be in the conversation. And then you look at the Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant. If he plays 60-plus games, I mean, Kevin Durant looks better post-Achilles surgery than he did pre-Achilles surgery, which is kind of scary to think about, and not many athletes in general are better after suffering some kind of major injury like that. So Kevin Durant on the court, I've... I love watching Kevin Durant. I I think that he's marquee basketball and he's everything that the NBA needs to advertise. And he's still going strong at 30 something years old. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. It really feels like, you know, Durant's kind of must see TV every time he's, he's out there, Um, you know, with that wingspan, with how tall he is um, really just kind of starting on that whole, that slim Reaper nickname from when he was young, he just kind of, you know, popped off from there. And I mean, his game is just, it's so expansive and, you know, it feels like, you know, really when any, anytime he's on the court, um, kind of going back to, you know, Brooklyn being a, a contender out East, it feels like anytime he's out on the court, regardless of who else is out there, I mean, he'll put the team on his back. He'll go five straight possessions, just go ISO and and whatever he's got to do to get a bucket. Um, just a, just an absolute competitor and must see TV every time for sure. One, one, one thing I'm preparing for this season and I don't really see anybody talking to him. Where are the sons? Where are the sons in all of this? You know, they, they, they came off a killer season last year, but no, it's kind of quiet around Phoenix. What, what's going on down there? Well, the big word in Phoenix is it's two main topics right now. It's Robert Sarver leaving as the owner of the Phoenix Suns and that team most likely going up for sale and could eclipse $4 billion in sale. And then the second thing is that Jay Crowder is available on the trade block right now. And it would not be shocking to see him dealt before the season begins on October 18th. It would not be shocking to see him dealt the week after the season starts. I've been told that the Phoenix Suns would like to get a deal done before the season if possible. As of right now, they haven't they haven't pushed two advanced talks uh, with other teams. There, there have been teams interested, but it hasn't really gone past the initial phase of who's offering what and for what and what picks would be involved because the, the Phoenix Suns, the thing is they want a player in return that can come in and contribute right away because they know that their championship window is small and they know that it's right now. They finished as the number one team in the league last year, 64 wins coming off a finals appearance in 2021 and they failed to get back to the NBA finals. So the whole thing this year is going to be trying to get back there and how they can eclipse the Golden State Warriors and take them down in order to have another chance at winning a title because they know Chris Paul only has limited years left. Devin Booker's in the prime of his career and DeAndre Ayton, you don't know if he's going to be on the team long-term, even though he just signed an extension in the offseason because he's been unhappy there ever since the season ended. And it seems like a lot of people have been unhappy internally with the way everything kind of transpired at the end of last season, losing to the Mavericks and not just losing, but getting blown out in games six and seven. So it it left a sour taste in their mouth. They're going to be coming out strong in the 2022, 23 season and we'll see what happens, but they definitely need to replace Jay Crowder with another player that can come in and play 20 to 25 minutes a game. 
if it was up to you, who would it be? Who do they need? Who's the guy? It's tough to say when, when you already have Devin Booker and Chris Paul, you don't necessarily need another backcourt option, but you can never have too many shooters in this league. So if they are going to move Jay Crowder, I would expect them to add another shooting weapon out on the wing. Very interesting. And I think one thing that it kind of felt like in a way it came out of nowhere, but with Jay Crowder, um, it feels it felt very mutual kind of once that report first came out. Was that something that you think had been brewing for a while or kind of just um, coming into this season, Crowder saw he his minutes might have you know kind of taken a hit and just it was better for him to to kind of find somewhere else at this, this point in his career. Yeah, this was something that was brewing near the end of last season and in the playoffs with the struggles that the Phoenix Suns had and kind of the disconnect that they had after winning 64 games. It seemed like that they had a lot of mental burnout heading into the playoffs that they were really playing to get that 64 win season and entering the playoffs. They did not look like the same team that they did in the regular season. And I don't know if that was necessarily due to a mental thing in the locker room or whether or not guys were batting heads, but Jake Crowder, the decision for him to leave Phoenix seems to have been made when they got blown out by the Mavericks twice in game six and seven. After that, basically the talk in league circles was that he was gone and another team was going to look to acquire him, especially because he only had one more year left on his contract. So that's kind of where things transpired. And Phoenix waited, obviously, because DeAndre was a restricted free agent. They were in the Kevin Durant trade market, and they had a lot of other things to worry about as well with this whole Robert Sarver investigation that was going down as well. So it was just one of those things that they kind of put it under the pile and would address it later on. And now's that time that they're addressing it. So kind of putting, you know, trade packages aside, who are, you know, who do you think are some of the teams that should go after kind of a veteran like Jay Crowder that can defend on the wing? It can shoot the three, you know, fairly well if he's left open um, soon. I know obviously Phoenix is going to want someone that can come in and compete, but, you know, kind of putting that aside, who do you think are a couple of teams that would benefit most from adding a player like Jay Crowder? Danilo Gallinari is out with an ACL injury for Boston Celtics. I think that a reunion with Boston would be beneficial for Crowder based on his skill set and his ability to be a sixth man or seventh man for that Celtics offense and defense. You look at the Miami Heat. He went to the NBA Finals with them in the 2020 NBA bubble. The Heat are obviously interested, but they may not necessarily have the cap room and the players to make a trade work there. Maybe even a team like the 76ers. You know, Rich could get richer there and add some more depth, and Crowder would certainly be an interesting piece that they could put at either forward position, just like Tobias Harris and just like PJ Tucker, he'd be another solid weapon for them. And then you look like you look at a team like the Atlanta Hawks, that they're a team that's looking to make the playoffs once again in the East. And it still seems like that they're missing something out on the wing. You have DeAndre Hunter, you have John Collins at the power forward position, but their depth out there is a little thin. They add Justin Holiday this offseason. Maybe they move him in a trade package for Drake Crowder, or maybe they go and move Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's a shooter like we mentioned that Phoenix could absolutely utilize as a six man off the bench in their rotations. So I think that there's certainly options out there and teams interested in Jay Crowder. It's just a matter of what team's going to be willing to give up a player that they actually really do like for him. Yeah, definitely something to consider and, you know, kind of sticking with the, you know, role player sixth man coming off the bench. Um, who are some guys that you're kind of looking at as, you know, kind of the favorites for, you know, sixth man of the year. I'm sure Jordan Poole is up there. Um, but if there are kind of some other guys, you know, either that you think are can be favorites or kind of just sticking with the whole, you know, dark horse theme and, you know, kind of guys that may come out and surprise people with that. Terrence Ross. <laughs> Jordan Poole is certainly the uh, front runner for the award right now. And, and that's based on my media poll that I recently ran for Fast Break on Fan Nation. Jordan Poole received over 50% of the votes for the award. And it wasn't even close because Tyler Harrell came in second and he received eight votes less than Poole did. And you got Kevin Love as well, 
with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Cleveland's expected to be much improved than they were last season, so he's certainly going to be up for the award. And then uh, maybe a dark horse is DeAnthony Mellon with the Philadelphia 76ers because he's going to be an integral part of their potential success. And Mellon's going to be one of the first guys off the bench in the backcourt behind James Harden and Tyrese Maxey, and they're really going to need him to be a scorer if they are to be a 55-60 plus win team this year and contend for a spot in the NBA Finals. So I think that six man of the year every season is wide open and it's really one of those awards that you don't have clarity on until after the first month of the season where you can see really who's going to be playing what role because you could easily have Jordan Poole as a favorite and then maybe Clay Thompson gets hurt and he's going to miss a month and all of a sudden Jordan Poole's thrown into the starter role so maybe he's not in, in consideration for the six man of the year award anymore so it's one of those things that you just kind of have to wait and see. And, and as far for like for those who like maybe new to the league itself, can you kind of explain what the six man is like? What role do they play for a team, and like what makes them so important, and what makes them you know you know top tier quality in that aspect? Well, and honestly, they should just change the award name to the best bench player in the league award because <laughs> that that's what it is. Like you could be the eighth man off the bench and still win six man of the year. So it, it, it's just a term. The six man coming off the bench, just like the twelfth man in football it's that extra motivation that extra guy that gives you scoring gives you energy gives you defense impacts the game at a high level cool so even on that okay so i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna bring it home i'm gonna bring it home a little bit is it just me or are people sleeping on the magic this year like because i don't know it may just me be me being an orlando native but i feel like people are really sleeping on this young team because they look hungry they look ready to play and they look ready to like they have something to prove their ceiling this year is probably around 33 32 wins uh in that department they're a team that very likely will not make the playoffs but yeah they're, they're going to show improvements i think jamal mosley is one of the better younger head coaches in this league and he, he's he's a guy that's been around the block he has a lot of coaching experience as an assistant and he's seen a lot of success with some of his teams that he's been a part of so i think jamal mosley will have this young team trending in the right direction it's just a matter if they can stay healthy because jalen suggs is hurt again Oof. markel fultz is hurt again jonathan gary isaac harris. still isn't 100 healthy gary harris is injured so there's just a lot of injuries that they've dealt with over the years that have kind of uh affected their ability for growth is is Paolo a shoe in for the MVP for rookie of the year if he can perform and kind of basically carry the team on his back? Yeah, especially with Chet Holmgren and Andrew Guy. I think that Paolo Bancaro and obviously he's going to be the favorite to win rookie of the year entering the year because he's the number one pick. Expectations can't be higher on you. But looking at some of the other guys for that award, his competition, I think his number one competition is going to be Keegan Murray on the Sacramento Kings. Keegan Murray was fantastic when I saw him out in summer league. Absolutely fell in love watching this kid play. I, I think that he's going to be a star for the Sacramento Kings. And throughout the preseason, he's only been getting better. And I've only heard good things about him in camp as well. And he's got an energetic, fun head coach that quite honestly is one of the best player coaches in the league. And that's Mike Brown coming over from the Golden State Warriors. So keep, keep an eye on the Kings. I think that between the Kings and the Orlando Magic, if I had to choose one that could possibly surprise teams this year, I think that the Sacramento Kings could possibly be the this year's surprise team. Wow. I thought, I thought, I thought you were like, thought you were about to like, you know, bring me home for like the closer. You're like, you know what? Give it to the magic, but no. Okay. never mind. Yeah. So I, mean, I think the Kings were kind of one of the, the surprise teams last year, obviously, you know, getting rid of Halliburton last year was, was a surprise move for them, but bringing in a guy like Sabonis, um, you still have De'Aaron Fox, obviously having Keegan Murray now. Um, I think Malik Monk is coming off the bench for them too. So, you know, it feels like a very young team and, you know, it just kind of can see how far those young guys can carry them. So definitely a, a, you know, a great, you know, sleeper pick. And also for, for people on so rare too, to kind of look at um, kind of some of those younger guys that may be undervalued and, you know, may not get the most 
uh, media coverage being out in Sacramento, which has been a very tough, uh, a tough franchise as of recently. So um, definitely kind of some guys to, to for sure keep an eye on out there. Um, but kind of continuing on, you know, league-wide coverage as a whole, um, what are kind of some of the, the storylines that you're keeping an eye on, Brett, this season, um, either that have already come into fruition or that there's just kind of been rumblings this offseason, um, kind of similar to like a Jay Crowder or just general, you know, storylines this season? Los Angeles Lakers remain at the center of everything, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Darvin Ham in his first season as head coach. And especially it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Russell Westbrook, who's in the final year of his contract, because the Lakers were interested in moving him this offseason. They offered him multiple times to the Indiana Pacers in a deal that would have brought back Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. Ultimately, the Pacers decided not to accept the Lakers offer as the Pacers wanted some more draft picks that the Lakers weren't willing to offer up. So that kind of fell apart. They brought in Patrick Beverly. They brought in Lonnie Walker. I don't know what to expect from this team. I, I really don't. They have LeBron James on their roster, and if Anthony Davis can stay healthy, I think those two alone can bring them to the playoffs and make them competitive and compete at the highest level. But asking Anthony Davis and LeBron to stay healthy over the last few years has not been easy for the Lakers. And it seems like Anthony Davis, unfortunately, is always sidelined with, with some kind of ailment. And for his sake, I hope he can play because Anthony Davis is a top five, top 10 player in this league when he's healthy. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see, though, because this Lakers team that I always say when people talk about LeBron James led teams is that you need shooting around LeBron in order to be successful. When I look at the Lakers roster, I have no idea who their best three-point shooter is this year because you got a lot of guys that they can shoot threes, but they're not known for doing it. So I think that's going to be the biggest thing for the Lakers. If they have, if they finish bottom five, bottom 10 in the league in three-point shooting, I don't think this is a team that can contend for a championship. But if they prove that they can be a good three-point shooting team, and like I said, you got James and Davis healthy, maybe they'll be the surprise team this year. Who knows? The fact that they're even in that conversation of could be the surprise team is just crazy to hear. They, for the they could either sometimes. be the biggest surprise or they could be the biggest disappointment again. It, there, there's really no outlier for their season. That the margin for error is there. There is no margin for error because everything that they do could possibly be an error this season, or it could possibly be very successful. It, it, we we have no idea until we see this team play for about a month. No, I, I'm kind of glad you brought that up because I was thinking about that. I was like, what other teams around the NBA are like? one injury away from like completely just falling off, especially like coming to so rare and stacking is a really big thing. You know, sometimes you really want to get, you know, three, maybe four guys off the same team to kind of run off that, especially when they have a favorable matchup. But like there has to be a couple teams that are like just one injury to their star player. And it's like, goodbye. See you next year. Oh, I mean, that's pretty much every team. <laughs> if, if, if any team loses their star player, it's going to be really hard for them to rebound. Cause you look at a team like the Phoenix suns, if they were to lose Devin Booker for two to three months, who's your number one scorer there? You know, so I, I think that it, it's kind of a cliche answer, but there really isn't an answer to that question because you, you could easily go to the Dallas Mavericks then and say, well, if they don't have Luka Doncic, this is a team that's not going to make the playoffs. Or you look at the Denver Nuggets, if you lose Nikola Jokic, how good actually are they? So there's a lot of moving parts in that question, and there's really no right answer to it. Okay, fine. Kind of on the on the flip side of that, rather than losing guys, you know, who are some of the teams that you think would, you know, kind of have some of the best stacks in the league? So, you know, trying to find either that backcourt combo or two to three guys that you could, you know, throw in your lineup, um, you know, whether it's every game week or just kind of throughout the season um, that you think would kind of be the best ones to target. So whether it's a team or a specific group of players there. 
Well, I don't play and I don't follow fantasy basketball much, but I would definitely say that the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to be a team that you may not have one guy really take over. This is a, a really good collective unit, and their starting unit, in my opinion, is one of the best in the league and guys that can all take over at any point in any game where you got Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell in the backcourt, Karis LeVert's the favorite to start at the small forward position, Evan Mobley at the power forward position when he's healthy, and then you got Jared Allen at center. Out of those five guys... I could see any one of them being the leading scorer for the Cavaliers on any given night. So that, I think that's kind of makes them an intriguing and interesting team to keep an eye on in the Eastern Conference because you compare them to the likes of, let's just say, the Chicago Bulls, for example. You know that Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan are going to be carrying a lot of the heavy work on the offensive end of the floor. And any extra contributions that you get, it's just an added bonus at that point. For Cleveland, it's not going to be one to two guys. It's going to be their starting lineup plus Kevin Love. You're going to have Chetty Osman coming off the bench. And you got Isaac Okoro still. You got Robin Lopez, Ricky Rubio when he's healthy. So I think that the Cavaliers, and we can even throw them in that category that we talked about before, being a sleeper team. I think that they're absolutely a team that could fly under the radar and possibly sneak into the playoffs as a top six seed in the East and avoid the playing tournament. See, I don't know about you, Alec, but that's the exact kind of person that I am, especially when I'm playing fantasy. I was like, I like those, like, maybe not sexy guys, you know, not the guys that are in the news, in and out, you know, on ESPN every time. But, like, I want that just solid, consistent guy that's going to play, you know, a consistent amount of minutes, you know, produce solid around the board, not make too many mistakes, too many turnovers. It's just, he just produces every game. That's, that's all That's all I want. And That's all you can ask for. Might be targeting the Cavs, I'm not going to lie. I didn't even think twice about the Cavs. Yeah. But- this might have just changed my, I might have to actually really look into this. Yeah, but I mean, that's going to team, you know, especially with bringing over Donovan Mitchell. I mean, Brett, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I mean, losing, you know, Colin Sexton is, is somewhat of a big loss, but still having Darius Garland in that backcourt is huge. But, you know, I feel like for a guy like, you know, Donovan Mitchell, they really didn't give up a whole lot where they had to kind of blow up their roster. They they really kind of could keep their whole, you know, I guess the four other starting five members um, other than Sexton and, you know, they had to give up a little bit of draft capital and some bench guys, but I mean, it's, it's not very often you have the opportunity to trade for a star player. And it feels like a lot of times when teams do, you know, you really kind of have to blow up either the team's future or your current roster. And, you know, I feel like the Cavs didn't fully have to do that, which really just kind of, you know, jump starts their window for, for contending for a championship. You're absolutely right. Kobe Altman and the Cavs front office found themselves just in the right place at the right time this offseason because you had Colin Sexton as a restricted free agent and having the ability to sign him to a deal and then trade him to another team very easily. And they had uh, they had some capital to give up as well. And it was a very easy move for them. They didn't have to give up any of their young core in the terms of their young all-stars of Garland and Jared Allen and obviously Evan Mobley being a future all-star within the next three years. So I I love the move. And it's just one of those things that it, you, they were in the right spot at the right time and it worked out for them. Yeah. I have to say, as a Bulls fan, having to watch Donovan Mitchell absolutely torch us for however many games it is each season is going to be tough to watch. But on the flip side, as a Louisville fan, seeing him a little closer to home and getting to watch him more on TV now is just going to be so fun to see. Listen, the Bulls are fine, okay? Caruso and Vooch are going to lead the (laughs) league. They're going to be the duo of the entire NBA, you know, with his slick little passes, you know. It's it's gonna be great. They're gonna carry your team. Yeah. Don't worry, buddy. You got that. Yeah, Drummond shooting threes. I think what was it? He went three for three the other night. And granted, it was preseason, but I mean, if you would have told me two years ago Andre Drummond can shoot three pointers, I would have looked at you like you were crazy. There's just there's just no way. But I mean, that's just how the game's going right now. And you know, it's it's always fun to kind of see guys 
um, you know, what seems like out of nowhere. I know there's, there's a lot of hours in the gym and in the off season, but you know, from a fan perspective, it kind of seems like guys just kind of come out of nowhere and can develop that shot. And, um, you know, even Giannis who started to knock down some threes, you know, as of late last season, which I mean, if he can develop a three point jump shot next year, that's I mean, extremely scary. Dude, like, that, Oh man. What, what could the Greek freak, what could he not do? If he, if he can start seeking threes game over done. MVP. Even if he makes like 35%, very average, you already can't guard the guy. And if he makes two or three threes a game, that's six or nine points. That That's a difference in 10 or 11 of their games from last season. So, I mean, if Giannis starts knocking down threes in in an average capacity, he's going to be the MVP of the season, hands down. I'm, I'm waiting for it. I, I have... One of my one of my best friends is a big Giannis fan, so I've watched a lot of Giannis over the last couple of years. And like, you can't, you can't help but not root for the guy. Like, you just you want him to win so bad. Like, no matter what. Like, obviously the Magic are never gonna not maybe this year, but you know I've had fun kind of rooting for the Bucks along the way. And just oh, I get so upset, I get so heartbroken when he loses. I'm just like, dang, I feel so. Ugh. Yeah, but kind of sticking with you know a lot of these guys that are putting in you know extra hours in the off season and and looking to up their game. Who are some guys that you're kind of looking to? you know, really take that next step forward. You know, last year, even though he was already an all, uh, a superstar, you know, John Morant took a huge step forward. Um, Jordan Poole took a big step forward. So who are some of those guys um, this year that you think that you're kind of looking forward to, you know, seeing how big their offseason was and, you know, what steps they can take forward this year? Yeah, so we kind of touched on it earlier. Anthony Edwards, he's definitely a guy at the top of my list that I think heading into his third season, he's going to be facing a scenario where he can be a first-time All-Star. And we, we've seen a trend in recent years that, a first-time All-Star winds up winning the Most Improved Player Award. So Anthony Edwards, if he makes the All-Star game, he could be a very clear choice for that Most Improved Player Award this year. I'm also looking at Cade Cunningham in Detroit. I think that he's going to have a very good season as long as he stays healthy. And then we we kind of mentioned him earlier when we were talking about the Sacramento Kings. They dealt him to the Indiana Pacers, and that's Tyrese Halliburton. Tyrese Halliburton has the reins of the franchise in Indiana. He's their star player, and everything that we have seen from Tyrese Halliburton in his first few seasons in the league has been awesome. I think that Tyrese Halliburton is going to be a star as a combo guard in this league for a long time to come. And the Pacers really, really did well for themselves trading away DeMontis Sabonis and getting a young star like Halliburton. I don't, I don't even know who plays for the Pacers. Anymore. I feel like I haven't heard anything about I forgot Indiana was a team almost. <laughs> like I literally like, as soon as you, as soon, like you've mentioned them like twice. And I'm like the Pacers. I was like, what have the Pacers been up to? What's, what's the story on the Pacers? Is there, is there anything to like actually look at there? Well, the Pacers are rebuilding right now, whether they want to admit it or not. They they tend to call it something different. I, I don't know if they said just a, a roster retool or something, but it, it's a rebuild. <laughs> this is nice gonna try, be, buddy. Yeah, this is going to be something that's going to take a couple or a few years for them to really get back to being a real threat like they were with Paul George back in the day. But they could easily make the playoffs this year and surprise everybody. They could make the playoffs next year and surprise everybody. They, they just need one or two pieces that they can put around Tyrese Halburn and feel comfortable over the next few years. And maybe they'll do that through the draft because they do have some good young talents on their team. They recently re-signed Jalen Smith, who I think is a pretty underrated big man in this league. You have Isaiah Jackson. You have Chris Duarte. So they definitely have some good pieces in place. It's just you look at the rest of the Eastern Conference and you have these young guys going against the likes of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, James Harden and Joel Embiid. You got the big three in Milwaukee with Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday and Giannis. And I, I think that's where the gap is for the Pacers right now is that they just can't keep up with those stars in the league. But give them a few years and see if they can de 
can develop stars of their own, or maybe an all-star becomes available down the road, maybe two, three years from now. And this is just pure fan speculation in my mind talking about it, but maybe a guy like LaMelo Ball becomes available in trade talks and they pair him with a guy like Tyrese Halliburton and create a dynamic backcourt. Again, not going to happen. Just just one of those fantasy type thoughts in your head of, hey, maybe they're just one player away from being a really good team in this league. Listen up, so rare. Listen up, so rare players. This is what we're talking about. <laughs> this is the content we promised. Look at that. Yeah. But all right, kind of, you know, one final thing I know we talked about, um, you know, kind of who we think is going to come out or at least the top contenders in the East and the West. But if we can get your, you know, your finals prediction as the season stands right now, you know, based on, you know, I believe preseason wrapped up either yesterday or the day before. Um, so, you know, if we can get your, you know, preseason, you know, right before the season starts, your finals prediction, who you got? I've been jockeying back and forth on it, and I hate to do the whole prediction thing because, A, anything can happen, and the teams are one injury away from whatever. But I'm looking at two teams, and they really caught my eye, not only ending the season last year, obviously one of them did because they won the championship, but I, I look at the moves that they made this offseason, and these two teams truly are two of the three, four, maybe five teams in the league that have the most complete roster. And that's the Philadelphia 76ers and the Golden State Warriors. I think that the Warriors have everything they need to win another championship. I mean, all, all you need is Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green healthy. And it seems like they can win a championship. And now they got Jordan Poole emerging. They added Dante DiVincenzo on a very favorable deal, who is a fantastic player out on the wing. He can do a lot of things for them. Moses Moody heading into his second season is going to hold a bigger role for them. And Kevon Looney in a front court with James Wiseman, I think is going to be very deadly for this team as well. So the Warriors are very complete. It's just a mentality factor for them if if they're together. And that kind of goes back to the whole Jordan Poole, Draymond Green situation. If this team's together and they're fighting amongst one each other on the on the floor in a good way, then this is a team that can repeat as champions. Looking at the Philadelphia 76ers, it's just a health thing for me. If James Harden is healthy, if Joel Embiid is healthy, this is going to be a, a 60 plus win team in in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. You know, before we go, Brett, tell the people where they can find you on Twitter, where they can find your articles, your reporting, you know, all that. How can the people get in contact with you? Yeah, so it's at Brett Siegel NBA on Twitter. And the website is Fast Break on Fan Nation. We're part of the Sports Illustrated Network. And we have you covered from everything from guys signing across the league, signing training camp deals right now, getting waived ahead of the start of the season and being assigned to the G League to midseason acquisitions and my rumor mill of things going on around the league and my inside scoop. And we have our brand new podcast launching later this week. So yeah, we got a lot of things going over at Fast Break on Fan Nation and a lot of good things going as well. Awesome, dude. Well, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, definitely interested to see, you know, kind of where your work takes you this year. I appreciate it, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on and best of luck this year with everything. No, oh, yeah, Brad. It, it was, it was definitely, it was definitely a pleasure having you on. You gave me a lot to think about as the season kind of approaches and I'm, I'm kind of stoked to dig in. Like, dude, you really piqued my interest with this whole Cleveland things. I'm like, dang, <laughs> like I, I'm all about a sleeper, but next week guys in like three days from the day that this episode releases, so rare community announcement at 10 a.m. Eastern. Okay. I don't know what that is for the rest of the world because I'm in Eastern. Okay. It's the only time that matters, but tune in. We should be getting all the news that we need for so rare NBA so we can start planning our teams. We will know the scoring matrix. Hopefully we will know when cards go on sale. We'll be able to dive in. Hopefully we get our common cards that day, really get the ball rolling. And I cannot wait. We should be maybe doing something, maybe a special episode, maybe a live stream. I don't know what, but we will be bringing you all the coverage on that. We will figure it out. We will go through it together and we're getting there. We are, we are almost there. I am excited.